Welcome to the Greatest Discovery, the Star Trek Discovery podcast from the makers of the Greatest Generation. What's the Greatest Generation, you might ask? It's our other Star Trek podcast. We're embarrassed about it. Uh, I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. How you doing, Adam? Uh, I'm I'm wearing an oversized belt buckle. I'm wearing <laughs> my best frilly blouse. You look great in that. You, uh, I, I feel like uh, if you go if you go on late night wearing that frilly blouse, you could really set off a fashion trend. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to be a pirate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I thought I hadn't seen this episode, and I'm still not sure if I'd seen this episode, but, like, there were parts of it that I was like, maybe I have seen this before. <laughs> did you, uh, did you experiencing anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think this, this ep is, is, like, Star Trek zeitgeisty enough to where I think we've seen clips of it for decades. Yeah, I guess that must be it. And maybe from those clips we're able to, to piece together some kind of story uh, out of headcanon. Now, people listening to this might think that this is the first time we've reviewed a original series episode, but they would be wrong, Adam. That's right, Ben, because uh, it wasn't too long ago that we gave a look at Mirror Mirror. Uh, you, of course, I think, watched Space Seed to prepare for our Greatest Gen Con tour. I did not do that because I don't prepare. It's not my way. I like to surprise you sometimes on stage. Peppering in a little bit of actual knowledge that's how you keep it fresh <laughs> keep the relationship fresh by doing something yeah. a little different sometimes you tie me up <laughs> sometimes i poop on you <laughs> only when there's a, a glass coffee table in between us do i do i allow that right yeah that's fair <laughs> but uh yeah we did the we did that mirror mirror episode and uh, that is in the uh donor boco feed and uh it was such a good experience yeah wanted to go back we, to that well right we were surprised at how much we enjoyed watching an original series episode so uh so playing with that good feeling house money we uh <laughs> we're doubling down on mud's women i think we're gonna have that problem a lot we're gonna be talking about the episode title but uh it could be inferred that we're talking about the women themselves Right. Yeah, the, this is one of those episodes where the title gets said in it, you know? Right. Like an, a character says the eponymous phrase, and the possessionness of the of these women that is implied in the titles turns out to be far more literal than, uh, than I had anticipated. Isn't that the truth? Well, Ben, I'm, I, we're talking around the episode without beginning the episode. Maybe we should just do the thing. Did you like the episode, Adam? <laughs> <laughs> well, you must be asking me about uh, the original series Star Trek Season 1, Episode 3. That's crazy. This was the third episode of the original series, Ben. It's Mud's Women. We have engaged the Klingons. Klingons? Klingons? Those Klingons? What the hell is going on on this ship? Ship. The slightest idea. Third? I had seven. Wait. It's, uh, it's number seven in, the, uh, in Netflix. I'm looking at Memory Alpha. It says Season 1, Episode 3. 
I think we got to trust Memory Alpha over Netflix. <laughs> well, they uh, certainly have more descriptive episode capsules. <laughs> this episode starts in uh, in media race, Ben. It's one of our favorite ways to start an episode. Mm-hmm. I love to get get into some nice media race. Yeah. One of my favorite places to hang. Uh, yeah. There's a there's a pursuit. Unidentified ship doesn't have a uh, identity transponder, so they don't know who this ship is or why they're running away. You know, it's one, it's one of those things where, like, a, if a cop walks into a park and somebody, like, drops everything they're doing and sprints away, that cop can probably just has probable cause to detain the person. Yeah. Yeah, and in this episode, we've been watching a lot of, of Deep Space Nine for our other program, Ben, and this episode announces right away that it is of superior special effect because... This chase scene is really good looking, and all of the ship comps from the exterior look glossy and nice. Yeah, this is uh, this is CG that replaced the original um, model work, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it looks really they good. Did a nice job. It's got a like they they were I think very faithful to the intent of the original artist. Yeah. So this mystery ship is trying to flee through an asteroid belt. It appears to be kind of a suicide-style mission because uh, no one on the Enterprise thinks that that's a survivable way to go. Yeah, they uh, they say that it's a uh, an asteroid belt with a Schiller rating of 3.5. And that's, uh, just to give you a sense, that's like two habanero peppers. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's the kind of hot sauce you have to order through the mail. Yeah. You're not going to find that in the stores. Yeah, if uh, if you see that the uh, tamper-proof packaging has been messed with, uh, return it to sender. When your hot sauce comes in it with a Schiller rating of, of 2.5 and also comes in a medicine dropper style format, that's pretty mm-hmm. bad news for your next few yeah. days. Yeah, your, uh, <laughs> your firehouse chili <laughs> is really going to cause some problems. Oh, dang it! Speaking of sauces adam did you notice that there was a big spill on the on the floor of the bridge in this scene i did it was hard to miss uh that that stain obviously predates the uh lids on beverages policy that they had yeah. on the bridge going forward <laughs> yeah jim kirk had some of his uh t earl gray hot there on the handle of his big chair and knocked it off or something yeah no cup holders on the bridge yeah you would think that they would have some accommodations for a beverage Nobody ever, uh, nobody ever eats or drinks on the job in Star Trek, do they? I guess. Well, I mean, every time you see that depicted, something awful happens. It's like, uh, <laughs> what was her name? Was that her name, Gomez, who who spilled her coffee all over the captain's chest? Right. Yeah. She uh, she never recovered from that. She was gone. I mean, the next episode. Do you know who this uh, this other deckhand is? There's a there's a guy in Chekhov's seat. I yeah. guess maybe Chekhov hasn't hasn't uh, arrived yet. I called him just Helmsman Buscemi. <laughs> I think if he were to do the twenty three and me, like it's a it's a pretty thick branch into the Buscemi family tree. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, super. He really thick, does ben. give give Buscemi that thick branch. Uh, so uh, yeah, the the deal with these asteroids is that they are going to pulverize the ship that they're chasing and they're like hey we didn't want to kill you we just wanted to find out who you are and what you're up to and so they have to extend their defensive fields around this ship but 
uh, it's kind of taxing the engines. Like they, they keep talking about how the engines are overheating, which is a very like 1960s, I broke down on the 405 on my way to the writer's room kind <laughs> of idea. <laughs> like, and, uh, and so they, they you know, the ship, the Enterprise is really like, is, is really taking a beating. All the, all the circuitry is burning out and these lithium crystals keep burning out, causing little kind of brownouts on the bridge. But uh, they managed to hold the deflector field around this mystery ship for long enough to beam off at first one uh, survivor and then three more. Yeah, the one survivor uh, identifies himself as Walsh, and he is uh, he's dressed as summertime Santa Claus, Ben. <laughs> he's, got, uh, he's got the frilly blouse, he's got the big belt buckle, he's got a, a twirly mustache of the kind that you'd find in a, one of your better cocktail bars. Yeah, he's got like a kind of a boat neck undershirt that really shows off his wharf puffs. Yeah, wharf puffs in full effect. He's one of those guys where where he stops shaving is a bit of an arbitrary decision. <laughs> Just based on his mood. <laughs> well, it's like, like I guess... Like there's there's just hair on his neck, you know. Like it's yeah. not that's not his chest, that's his neck. And I guess at a certain point, you don't want to just have to shave your entire neck if you're that hairy. But uh, maybe you should. Is all I'm saying. I have a dolphin's amount of body hair, Ben. So it's hard for me to imagine what that would be like. Yeah, but you also do such a delightful water tricks. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people that come to uh, Greatest Gen Con and, and sit in the front three rows are always delighted when you do a flip into the into the pool and splash everybody. That's what we call the first couple rows at every Greatest Gen show, Ben. It's the splash zone. But, uh, <laughs> but it's mostly due to our prodigious drinking. Just where is it, I find myself? Playing coy, you know, he's like, I didn't, I didn't uh, answer and I didn't beam over initially because I, I didn't know who you are and what you wanted. And they're like, well, yeah, like there's systems in place for establishing these kinds of things, like transponders. It's a, it's that frustrating situation where in an emergency, you're not getting a straight answer. Like the clock is ticking on this other ship and there are other survivors there and they can't get in, get a straight answer out of this Walsh guy. Ben, low key, one of my favorite parts of this scene is the framed Starfield print in the transporter room. Mm-hmm. It reminded me of like the Kronos Euros poster that's on the wall of any Euros place. Like <laughs> like having a framed picture of the thing that happens in the room that you're in is yeah. uh is meta funny to me. A solid bit of business, yeah. yeah. Um do you think Scotty gets to decorate his own transporter room? I mean, if he did and this is his personality, it's disappointing. <laughs> Do you think O'Brien got to de- decorate his transporter room? <laughs> Without a doubt. No decorations? <laughs> I don't have time for all that frilly kind of thing. This is one of those scenes, Ben, where an asteroid punches through the other ship, and it happens right at the time that they're they're beaming off whatever survivors they're they're trying to scoop up. And it's another opportunity where no one beams blood. That I and I really want to see that at some point in Star Trek. One of the beams materializes yeah. just just yeah. meat. <laughs> not a thing in the '60s. Not a thing now. Yeah. Well, uh, I think uh, I think even like even more than now. Back then, they were pretty worried about showing too nasty of images on screen. But what they're not worried about is showing a lot of skin. Yeah, I guess uh, 
I guess the ship that they were chasing was a Dillard's or something because <laughs> three fembots get beamed aboard and they are fully decked out. Yeah, they get beamed aboard in a tableau. Like they're they're in poses. One of them is facing away, and you're like, "Oh, that's weird that she's facing away." But then you realize she's just facing away so that she can do a dramatic turn to camera. Right. I'm not sure that one of them is wearing something designed to be clothes. Like one of them just looks like a blanket. Yeah, she's got like um, she's got like a throw that you might that you might put on a couch as a pop of color. <laughs> god that it's like that reference just reached through the the earphones and and grabbed me directly ben you just you just described my life i have Uh, have a couch just like that yeah no kidding and a blanket just like that both of which i had no choice in deciding yeah, you. So your your office in your house is kind of um, a corner of a room that is is used for other day to day activities. Yeah, it never used to be that way. Mine is a is a is a second bedroom, and I have a couch in here as well. Uh, and my wife insisted that I get a an accent pillow for said couch. So, yeah, uh, I mean uh, a, a black leather couch without any other adornment <laughs> uh, telegraphs a lot of things. Something else going on in here, not not the image I'm trying to send. No, the uh, production crew of Star Trek: The Original Series legendarily rented every promist filter <laughs> in the city of Los Angeles, California, to shoot this episode, Adam. Just stacked on stacked on stacked. There are so many close-ups of these ladies with the, like, gauzy, gauzy promist effect on the lens. And it's it's really kind of distracting because they cut back and forth a lot between the men and the women. And the, yeah. they are clearly going for very different effects on both of them. It's, like, it's something that, like, in old movies, you, you do get the the star, like, the glamorous close-up of the female lead from time to time with the with the Vaseline rubbed on the front of the lens. And it's not distracting when it is like one show-stopping shot just mm-hmm. to like, oh, this this woman just walked in and she is a bombshell. But in this, it's like, it's like cut, 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 cut. And it's like girl, male crew member, girl, male crew member, girl, male crew member. And it really just like breaks the spell that they're trying to cast, you know? Yeah, and there's no... I mean, it's it's a product of its time, right? There is no act subtle at this moment in TV history. Like, you must look <laughs> like you have a, an extremely painful erection. <laughs> yeah. And when they pan across uh, Scotty and Spock and Dr. McCoy, like, they all look like they've had one for longer than four hours. Yeah, he's like, call me Boners McCoy. I have to go to my own six bay. <laughs> One of the funniest lines of dialogue in the whole episode is like Kirk radios up to uh, up to the transporter room and he's like, how many did we get off? And in my inner <laughs> monologue, I was like, that's a really difficult question to answer at this point in time. <laughs> oh, fun, Adam. That was a nice little punch up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Just Spock is less under the sway of these ladies, but like Bones and Scotty are entranced in a way that is pretty troubling. Like it seems like there's more at work than just pretty ladies 
I get the feeling that early season one Spock is far looser than the Spock that we get in later seasons. He is, uh, yeah, he's very chill. He is not cold Spock. Yeah, he's very he's groovier than I remember yeah. Spock being. Yeah. The commander of the transport to see you, Captain. Uh, when Walsh is asked about these three ladies on the transporter pad, uh, his answer is not to the affirmative with regard to if it's his crew. He instead considers them his cargo, which is probably the first warning sign about uh, <laughs> about Mud's intentions here. Yeah, the warning signs, you know, the red flags are uh, begin to come fast and furious with this guy. He walks these ladies down the hallway and the camera just lingers on each one of their butts as every male crew member uh, stops what he's doing to leer at them. There's a choice that gets made in this episode quite a few times is is in a lot of these tracking shots, they're shooting through something in the foreground, often a mesh, like a metal mesh, like a corrugated thing. A lot of chain link in the original series enterprise i wonder if that's about obscuring the build quality of the set carpentry or whatever like if you look at homes built in the 60s you're not going to get a good seam between uh pieces of of wallboard maybe that's the the same deal on the set they're trying to cover up how contemporary the build quality might look you don't shoot through that corrugation when you're uh, getting those bridge scenes though because that uh, carpet stain is is in full relief <laughs> yeah you might have yeah, if this entire episode was shot through screens, uh, we might have n- not noticed that, so. We have been waiting for someone worthy of our attention. Who are you? Those Klingons? There's a real A story, B story thing going on here, Ben, right? There's, uh, there's the three girls in Walsh, but there's also the depletion of, their, of the lithium on board. They've cracked their crystal... And uh, it's a cause for concern because the crystal is the power unit that uh, the entire ship runs on. Yeah, so there's a bit of a ticking time bomb situation with the ship. If they don't don't replace these crystals, they're going to be in big trouble. And uh, they don't appear to be able to radio up for help from anyone. Like Kirk brings Mud and, and the girls into his ready room. His pretty immediate connection with Eve, who is, you know, the one of the ladies in the pink dress. I, I don't know if we get the other two ladies' names, do we? Yeah, we do. It's uh, it's Eve, it's Magda, and it's Ruthie. But Eve is sort of like the lead girl of the three. She has a personality that is different from the other two, and she also is given far more story than the other two. Yeah, she seems to think for herself. <laughs> yeah. In a way that the other two do less of no decipherable reading on females and that's a real problem for everyone involved (laughs) so mud is um is trying to explain away why he you know flipped the table over and and ran out of the room when the enterprise showed up and also trying to cover for the fact that um they damaged their ship quite a bit in rescuing him and uh kirk like the second the women leave the room kirk kind of gets back to business and announces to mr walsh that uh uh, he's going to be confined to quarters and that they're going to have a a ship's tribunal about what went on here there's always been a kind of superhumanity to james kirk and the way that that's on display in this episode is that all the human men on the ship are totally 
transfixed by the women and and powerless against them but it's james kirk that somehow can resist their charms yeah like wrinkled sweatshirt buscemi that's in the chekhov seat is basically useless like even when the women aren't in the room he's like oh my god they're so pretty (laughs) i (laughs) one of the parts that's not supposed to be funny in this ep is like is Sulu uh, like joining in that fraternity? Like, oh yeah, I noticed too. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh no. <laughs> Almost goes without saying because of when this was made, but like the amount of heteronormativeness in this is like, is kind of mind boggling, you know? It's hard to conceive of a way it could be more heteronormative than it is in this episode. Like, yeah, it, it's like uh, they colored all the way to the line. <laughs> yeah, this uh, this gets a gold star in the uh, in the coloring book rating system. Right. We get a lot of scenes about you know like how like we really cut back and forth. You know, Scotty and Spock talking about what big trouble they're in. Then we get a scene with Mud and the ladies, and there are two security guards who seem like not quite as flipped out about these ladies. Like, it's a little bit inconsistently applied how crazy the, these these women make men. Uh, these security guards, for example, are able to stand in the room and not make fools of themselves. Uh, but I guess to the extent that they do, it's because Harry Mudd is very obviously having mm-hmm. a conversation with these women uh, about all of the lies that they are telling, and uh, it, and he keeps slipping up in like some of the most boneheaded ways possible. And Harry Mudd has only one volume, and it is speaking to the back of the of the theater. <laughs> yeah, it's incredible. This actor's got a lot of charisma. He's great. You will deal. The idea that Walsh slash Mudd comes up with is that like he's very quick on his feet, right? So as the situation changes, so too is Mud's mission. So like having seen that the Enterprise needs these crystals and they're headed to Rigel 7, the story with these women becomes, well, he's a guy who sets these women up with single men. And what better place to do it than on a mining colony that is full of single men? This is going to work out great for them. Yeah, he gets this information at the end of his tribunal where it is revealed that he's been lying about his name, that he has a pretty thick rap sheet, uh, which the computer reads out at length. Questionably successful uh, psychological treatment is another (laughs) part of it. I I noticed there was conspicuously no mention of his uh, fairly antagonistic role in the war with the Klingons, but... um, No, uh... (laughs) No, uh... Rambo First Blood Part 2 style combination of uh, of races, <laughs> of genetic makeup. It's a hell of a combination. No acknowledgement of the fact that he killed a space whale. Right. Uh, but this, I like that the, the computer is able to detect, it's like a lie detector uh, and a computer that lists all the facts about him. There's sort of deposing mud in this scene. Because, I mean, he's, he's actually committed a number of crimes. The idea of, of just anyone driving a ship through a transportation lane in this area right. of space is problematic. And I love all of this, like, inside baseball spaceship stuff. 
Like you can't you can't operate a ship without a license, for example. Yeah. Like there are a number of things that he's guilty of and that he has to be deposed about, and that's what this scene is for. Except the computer acts as kind of a lie detector and all of Mud's all of Walsh's answers are deemed lies until he finally admits that he's Harry Mud. It's kind of sad that this episode turns the Enterprise into sort of like a CHP motorcycle. Right. Like, sir, do you know how fast you were going? License and registration. Sir, uh, this license has been suspended. Have you seen this boy? They're just writing him a ticket, basically. Yeah, it's strangely an administrative bit of business here. But at the end of this scene, like, the, the life support starts to... It starts to burn up the circuitry and it has to be switched over to battery power. So, you know, a bunch of crewmen come in to, to discuss the details of this with the captain. And the, uh, the fact that they're heading to Rigel 12 slips out in this discussion. And when everybody leaves, Mud is quite delighted to, to have a new scheme and, a, uh, and new miners to sell these women to. Because lithium miners are legendarily rich in this world. And legendarily horny, I guess? I guess so. It's during this kind of interregnum, like as they're on their way to Rigel, that the girls split up and they have interactions with different members of the crew. Ruth is the first one. She walks into Dr. McCoy's six bay and is kind of slinking around in there and she walks in front of one yeah, of Yeah, you his... don't have to say slinking around. They all slink. Yeah. Every, none of them the resting move without slinking. Slink. <laughs> yeah. Uh, she makes the mistake of walking in front of Dr. McCoy's Two Dots brand medical scanner. And uh, <laughs> it starts flashing one dot and then two dots in a way. I mean, anyone who has one of these Two Dots brand medical scanners will tell you uh, not a great sign. Yeah. He's kind of like playing two different distracteds against each other. He's yeah. distracted by the medical scan and distracted by her beauty, but he can't decide which is more distracting. Like he's very much not himself, but he's distracted from his own distraction. It's like if you're fucking, but the room is on fire. <laughs> like, which is the thing that you're there to address? Perfect analogy, Adam. Uh. This is fine. And so is that. Eve lets her, herself into uh, Kirk's quarters, and they have a screen-mediated conversation. Yeah, this uh, this version of Starfleet definitely predates the locks-on-doors version that we eventually get down the road, but not really. Yeah. Uh, which version are you thinking of? Because I can't think of any. <laughs> yeah, I can't either, to be honest. It never happens. Yeah. I mean, people have, like, overridden a couple of times on Deep Space Nine. Kirk has clearly been jacking it because uh, Evie's powers are no match for his ability to resist them. Another weird thing happens here, though, is like Evie is, as you were saying, all the girls slink, but Evie kind of lets the mask fall a little bit and breaks character. She's like, I thought I could seduce you, but I don't think I can do it anymore. And then she just sort of bolts. Yeah, I mean, she's saying like she actually does sweat Kirk but she's so stressed out by the circumstance she's in that she's like unable to access her her real emotions almost yeah. I mean there's an effortful thing happening with all of them yeah in in order to like maintain this this gauzy beauty that they have yeah so she heads back 
And the the room that the girls and Mud are staying in, they have like a, a big group conversation, and Mud is super excited because there's three miners. They are single, fairly young dudes, and they mine lithium, so they're rich. Uh, he says their lithium crystals are worth 300 times their weight in diamonds and thousands of times their weight in gold. So uh, apparently the abundance of gold and diamonds is still an issue at this point in history. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. Remains to be seen whether or not these lithium crystals are blood crystals. <laughs> we don't necessarily see how they are uh, extracted from the ground. Yeah. Jaimon Hansu is not down there. Three miners on the whole planet, huh? Yeah, weird, right? Boy, you do... Can you imagine what the roommate situation is like there? Not yeah. good. It looks like there's there's like two huts. They keep them pr- pretty spread out, too, so maybe like Jerry is a real ass, and yeah. they, <laughs> they don't want to be near him. I could see that. I mean, it, it's basically revealed here that Mud is kind of a pimp and is selling these women as wives. Yeah, he sure is. Like, are they there of their own volition at all, or are they... Like, it seems like they're kind of excited about the idea that there's single dudes, right? The trouble with how these characters... Well, one of the troubles with how these characters are written is that they they have opinions, but only about one thing. Yeah. Instead of of their entire lives, their their primary focus is is the thing that will be revealed later. Right. Like, their utility as women... Is also like their highest aspiration as women, yeah. and both of those are extremely low thresholds. Mud manages to get his hands on a communicator, and this is crucial because it allows him to communicate with the Rigel miners before Kirk does. So Kirk thinks that uh, he's going to be able to set up a deal pretty quickly. And so as they reach orbit, they're like, all right, let's get a conference table in here, let's get some snacks. Uh, let's start doing some business because we need these crystals before our air runs out. But the problem is that once the miners show up, they're like, yeah, we're actually here to meet up with, with mud and trade crystals for women. And Kirk, uh, to his credit, is offended by this idea. Like, he's like, no, like... He's ready to spend money. Yeah. I, I have a pocketbook here. Let me cut you a check. And they're like, sorry, sir. We'd uh, much rather take a look at these, at these babes, these mud's women. Yeah, and uh, their effect on the miners is exactly what we've seen uh, from the rest of the episode. They, the miners are transfixed, and there's no talking them out of this deal. These women, you don't got to sell them. They sell themselves. And the deal, as stated, is like, it's women for, for crystals, or you can get fucked. Like, that's it. Oh, and, and we should say, because right before this scene, we have kind of a, a weird reveal where... Uh, we cut back to the the room that they're all staying in, and the ladies have gone ugly. I thought they were just tired, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> They've got, like, mottled color. They've got their hair is messed up. I mean, like, their hair's not so messed up. They still, like, you know, all they need to do is run their fingers through it, and they'd be back to normal on the hair. But they also have very splotchy color, and they, like, look tired, and they, they feel terrible about themselves. Harry Mudd is, is tearing the place apart looking for something. And uh, he eventually finds it, and what it is is the, uh, the drugs that he's been uh, giving these women to make them vastly more beautiful and attractive than they naturally are. This is, we're seeing them in their detoxed natural state, and then they take the drugs and they go back to being 
ProMist stack filtered. Yeah, and like the vibe is definitely strung out, isn't it? Right. Like it's it's hard to tell whether they were going for strung out or like they're also just mopey when they're not right. uh, on this drug. Yeah. It doesn't take very long for the drug to take effect. And through a little bit of uh, camera intercutting, they are uh, beautified back to normal. Thank goodness, Adam. Yeah. Yeah, get those filters back on the camera. The scene also, like, it, it doubles down on Evie's trauma. Like, she's not happy to be taking these. She is, at this point, even a little bit resistant to the idea of taking them again. She's She seems to be kind of a holdout. Yeah, she's not as on board with this. And, I mean, like, her position is kind of hard to put your finger on, right? Like, she doesn't... It's, it's more that she just isn't okay with the entire situation than any particular part of it. Like, and, and I think that that's, that's actually kind of a true thing to be portraying. Like, the extent that these women are chattel, it's like, it's an outrage on every level. And she is resisting it sometimes and not others because sometimes like an institution you live within is hard to resist like a hundred percent of the time it doesn't take much effort to pivot this story into like a perfect mate style story with just like a line or two of dialogue it kind of fixes that yeah not that the perfect mate wasn't problematic in its own way but yeah but let's put a pin in that and talk about it uh when we get to the end because i was kind of surprised where where the episode ended up yeah you me both so the tension here is they need the crystals and they aren't going to be able to get them because it's girls for crystals. And so Kirk has to beam down to Rigel with a dustbuster club to renegotiate with the miners and they sort of beam into a party situation. Yeah, the uh, the miners have put on some yacht rock and they're hanging out with the ladies. They, they have all kind of paired off. Um, I sort of wonder... Like what if what if one of the miners had been particularly attractive to two of the ladies or vice versa? Like what then? But they all seem to have agreed. Like this one with this one, this one with this one. Yeah, I mean, speaking from experience, Ben, mm-hmm. it's tough, tough spot. <laughs> yeah, but like you know what you're gonna get here. You're gonna get uh, anytime you have a dance scene with miners, uh, you're gonna get people cutting in to uh, to other people's dances, and it's just gonna start a fist fight. The Starfleets have to break it up, and uh, Eve is uh, is just totally like not on board with anything that's going on here. She's she's sad, depressed. Like she's she's still looking her best. She's not in blotch mode, but she's like she's really. Ben, when I'm in blotch mode, I I just don't even go to the party. I'll just stay home. Yeah. Like, Kirk is looking at her like, I can't leave this woman here. Like, it's obviously, like, totally against her will. And when this fight breaks out, she, like, runs for the door and slips out. And, uh, like, we're told that this planet is, like, SETI Alpha 5 levels of inhospitable, right? Yeah, I mean, it'll uh, it'll season your cast iron pan out there. It's so, <laughs> it's so crazy. Yeah, so they, you know, they run out to try and catch her like they do give her a little head start very unnecessarily (laughs) uh and that head start is i guess enough that uh they're just not gonna find her but um yeah she's like you know she's running around out in this like sandstorm in a ball gown uh the misery the physical misery she's in perfectly matches the emotional misery she's in yeah well put it's a real anybody canyon situation out there ben 
because no Kirk kidding. is just screaming his head off at her, but uh, she's unable to or unwilling to to listen. And Kirk is yelling for her, but eventually gives up. Surprising. Didn't think he believed in a no-win situation. <laughs> I guess he, he goes back to the ship because he, he thinks that they can use sensors, potentially. Yeah, which is another problem, right? Using those sensors is just going to deplete their remaining crystal power. And, like, <laughs> I think it's funny and fun that no one pushes back on this. Like, they're searching for Evie using what little power they have. I mean, they've basically, like, put all their eggs in one basket. Like, they are Nobody going to Nobody is making the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few argument. Yeah. Spock hasn't thought of it yet. <laughs> yeah. I guess the miners have said, like, they've hidden all the crystals so that they won't be able to find them even if they want to. And I guess they have to take that seriously. What? 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 What's happening? What is this? The like lead miner guy finds Eve and brings her back, puts her to bed. He wakes up the next morning and she's uh, she's wearing one of his dress shirts and making him breakfast, but in a way that is not sexy or endearing. No, they're uh, they're sniping at each other like O'Brien and Keiko. <laughs> Pretty safe to say they don't like each other and uh, they've really like fast forwarded through courtship and into like the 10th year of marriage here. <laughs> she does hip him to this sandblasted pan situation which I thought, you know, if she didn't really have any affection for him, she wouldn't have shared. Right. I, I loved that like like that's such a great idea like just from a script writing standpoint like okay, well if if it's true that there's like sandstorms all over this planet, let's write in a thing about how the the pans can be cleaned by the sandstorms. Like, that's it's a pretty inventive little turn of story, and I really liked it. I like that it showed that she she was, like, thinking about things on a really different level from him, too. He, like, you, you see it on his face that her cooking is amazing compared to his, uh, but you also see on his face that she's thinking of shit that he never thought of, despite the fact that he's lived here for three years. On the one hand, it accomplishes the thing that makes her look intelligent, but on the other hand, uh, it's domestic intelligence and not right. like not any other kind, which might be less sexist. Right. I mean, that scene made me wish more than anything we had had some interaction between these women and Uhura. Right. Or just some scenes with Uhura like expressing her take on the situation because, you know, she's there. She's a a lieutenant in Starfleet. She's got uh, a totally different outlook on her own life than than these women who are either setting out to or being abducted into the idea that they their their highest destiny can be uh, being sexy wives, you know. And Ahura's got to have thoughts on that, right? I think we're holding this episode up to a standard that it could not possibly reach because Ben crucially. There is one credit on this episode that makes all the difference. <laughs> it is Story by Gene Roddenberry. Yeah. And that is all you need to know. So when uh, Kirk and Mud come in and find that she's been rescued, she's she's kind of back to splotchy, and uh, they, they give her one of the pills to take, and um, she takes it, goes back to beautiful, you know, goes back to slinking. And this is where... Kirk kind of announces the moral of the story, which is there's only one kind of woman, and the the force was in her all along. She didn't need the uh, the Schwartz ring to do the Schwartz. 
Well, Mud kind of jumps in here too to uh, to share in the telling of that message. It's Kirk that begins by saying that it's about a woman, but it's Mud that yeah. says it could be a man too. Right. You either believe in yourself or you don't. I thought a fun magic trick in this scene would have been if Kirk suddenly stopped believing in himself to demonstrate <laughs> and he just turned himself into Helmsman Buscemi. <laughs> yeah, like, so the moral of the story is really confidence is sexy. Yeah. What a great message. I was not expecting that. It's a great message told in the most misogynistic right. way possible. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, the, it's such a, it, it is... I could never have predicted that this is where yeah. where Gene Roddenberry would leave us on this one, but I mean, like, I don't disagree. That I disagree had to with be a punch up, though, Ben. Like, you know, Gene submitted <laughs> the script, and the and the the writers were like, "Look, we have got to tack something onto this." Like, yeah, we can't just to we can't it. just have it end with Kirk showing up with a gumball dispenser full of those pills and then leaving. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that really is the line that. I mean, you could argue that the lion saves the episode from from hell. Right, yeah, from from being, like, one of the most awful things ever aired on television. Yeah. There's something paternal about the way Kirk giving this message, too. Like, what's... Right, he kind so, of mansplains it to her. <laughs> like, I would have expected Kirk to fuck his way through this entire group before arriving at this message, and he never does. Yeah. Well, so, but like the, the way the message is revealed, like, like it's kind of what makes it not the perfect mate, right? Because the perfect mate, she, she is and stays the object of male Mm -hmm. sexual interest the entire time. And, you know, she is a rich and complex and interesting woman when she's attracted to Picard. And then she is diminished when she is attracted to the nobleman that she's, yeah being gifted to this at least redeems itself from that (laughs) a little bit (laughs) pretty high bar there (laughs) uh the button on the story is that uh the lithium crystals deal is back on yep and helmsman buscemi uh takes them out of orbit onto their next adventure I liked the little back and forth between Bones and Spock right before they depart the planet. Yeah. Where Spock says that he's he couldn't be more delighted that his internal organs are not in the same place as Bones. <laughs> God, this this proto Spock is really fun to me. I wonder if this is the version of Spock we're gonna get in Discovery season two. Like the uh the groovy chilled out Spock. Right, not quite as serious about everything. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, the the Spock before heartbreak. High grade ore, I've heard. Did you like this episode, Ben? Uh, well, for all of the uh, for all of the reasons aforestated, I did find it a little uh, a little cringy for the majority of it. I liked the end, I guess, a little bit. I didn't I didn't feel like it quite resolved whether these ladies wanted to be there at all. Uh, not that it cared about them. But, like, the extent to which they are, you know, nobody cares about what they want. Like, it's an interesting artifact from a different time. When they're given the chance to tell their own story, they talk about, you know, growing up alone and, like, doing work for brothers and family members or whatever. But it's unclear whether or not that's a true autobiographical history of their of their previous relationships or if it's just, if it's just pimping. Right. And I wish we knew that, right? 
Yeah, and I like to get the I liked I like to get to see Mud like the the character that Rain Wilson plays is I think a pretty different guy. Like I think that the bigness and the dedication to never doing the right thing <laughs> part of Mud is what they preserved. Yeah. Um, imagine like a contemporary reboot of this story like with like would would anybody even sign up to do it would rain wilson be okay with that well i think there's a way to tell the story and give the women agency i think there's a way to do that yeah i I guess i would be interested to to see it maybe uh evie's struggling against the machine that they're in like evie doesn't want to be there she's yeah she's able to articulate that but she does stay on the planet yeah. And we're never given any reason to believe she's, like, fallen in love with the minor guy. Like, let's just think generically for a second. If we were breaking a story that involved a man who had scooped up three women and his... <laughs> I, already wa- I already want out. <laughs> and his mission is to, is to take these women to be married to some strangers that they find along the way. You could, with only that amount of information, surmise that the man involved would be hostile to the women and they would fear him or there would be some sort of, uh, some sort of dark relationship that we see or, or would be implied. But I think it's very interesting in Mud's women how chaste the relationship is between mud and them like they don't fear him yeah. they they kind of roll their eyes at him they need the drug but they don't but it also isn't a drug that they need to live it's just and it's irritating when they don't have it and i thought that was an interesting way to tell the story like mud is not an existential threat to to them or the enterprise really it's, he's just a fucking problem and an irritation right is it is weird that like so so like their entire value in this story is what they look like and the potential the like idea of husbands for them is entirely their their value is entirely like how much money they have like what is the business model does mud like get what do they pay him <laughs> Well uh for more on that business model Ben I will direct you to uh Two Shorts album Cocktails <laughs> and the lyric sheet inside I think you'll find it very illuminating into uh-huh. uh, into how the pimping business works. Okay. Uh, w slash R slash T, uh, how easy it may be or not. Mm. I tend to prefer the works of uh, uh, Sugar Free right. on, on this topic. I, I feel like he may uh, even potentially have some practical experience <laughs> in a way that is like, fucked up as shit but also oddly compelling (laughs) one of the uh, most fun random hangs that i've ever had with you was like us just drinking a lot of mezcal going song for song sex rap against each other like like listen to this song and how fucked up this is and then we'll play a track and then you'd play another one and god that was that was crazy that was good times i didn't answer the question i should probably do that right i guess so if you want I, like the other two original series episodes that I saw, liked this more than I thought I would going into it. Yeah. Uh, Hard to articulate why due to its, uh, (laughs) I mean, due to factors and reasons, but um, I think it just helps to go in with low expectations. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Uh, Do you want to watch the next Mud episode? Oh, you're, you're telling me there's more. 
There's an, another uh, Harry Mud episode from TOS called I Mud, and uh, I'm I'm wondering if because I was I was expecting like the the lady that he's always talking about in disco to have like to get a name drop in here. It, she seemed to be like a an established idea of a person. Mm-hmm. And um, we even meet her in disco, so I, I, I was kind of thinking maybe this, like she would, she would be a factor, but maybe not. I don't know. Do you, I was, I, I was surprised she wasn't in here, so I kind of want to turn over the other stone and see if she's under that to uh, satisfy my curiosity. Let's do more stone turning, Ben. I'm into that. Yeah. My people were biologically determined for one purpose alone: to sense the coming of death. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in Below the Kilt Care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times, and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals, and they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! 
Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. I have to sense the coming of death. This doesn't make any sense. I sense it coming now. None of it makes any sense. Sounds like nonsense to me. Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. Yeah, I sure did. I mean, it's hard to choose against Helmsman Buscemi, but I, I will choose against him. Uh, instead, I'll give my Shimoda <laughs> to Spock for a very specific moment. It's, uh, it's the moment that his job is sort of Riker-like in a way. Like, he's hospitality on the Enterprise, uh-huh. and so he's walked Mud's women around the ship, finally taking them into Kirk's quarters. But then he has to walk them out. And like any, uh, like any gentleman, he lets the women leave first and then turns back around and looks at Kirk and gives that, what the fuck are you going to do? Kind of shoulder shrug <laughs> and, and head shake when he looks at him, which is like a very great shorthand for friendship. Like if this is the third episode in the original series, there's a, uh, there's a conspiratorial aspect to Spock and Kirk's relationship uh, depicted already. Because right. you don't do that unless you don't do that in a professional environment unless you're close. So I thought that was fun. What about you, Ben? I'm gonna give it to Mud. You know, like uh, obviously, I, right? He he fills a lot of the uh, of the qualifications for Drunk Shimoda, and um, definitely the thing that I wanted to call out most is how bad of a liar he is in this episode. <laughs> like he's kind of a he's he's much more of a con man, much more like much more like giving people information, you know, in a very strategic way and and then exploiting their misunderstanding of the entire picture later kind of character in, in Discovery. Yeah. And a much more brutal villain in Discovery. Uh, but his inability to lie in a believable way was, was pretty fun, pretty, uh, I mean, like, I think that's very of the time. You can't lie on, on screen and have it not be winking at the camera. In the 60s. You know, that's a great point. And for as shitty as Mud is at that, it never really bites him in the ass. Like, right. you could argue that his plan didn't fail. He remained flexible enough to see the thing through in a way that, that didn't make him into a complete buffoon. Like, yeah. there was never that moment where he utterly failed and was led away in shackles. There were many opportunities, many times where, like, two guys with red shirts were standing by the door, overheard something that probably should have led them to just be like, okay, we're going to go run this up the flagpole and alert the captain about what just happened. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, like, the the story lets him get away with a lot, despite being terrible at it. Yeah. Um, I also really liked the part, uh, kind of toward the middle of the episode, where... Uh, he broke into song. Now you thought I was just oh. seven, seven, oh, and four, four. I'm act like y'all know it's the <laughs> So that was that was pretty fun. I didn't know he had uh, that much musical talent. Yeah. I didn't know he could drive a race car that way. <laughs> <laughs> 
what else do we need to do here on this episode, Adam? We did what we came here to do. We talked about a TOS episode. We did talk about a TOS episode. Thus fulfilling the prophecy. <laughs> uh, so I guess we can let Rob take it from here. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast, hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison, and it's produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our music is by Adam Ragusea. Head on over to MaximumFun.org to support the ongoing production of this show, or just leave us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to continue the conversation online, please use the hashtag GreatestDiscovery. You can find Ben on Twitter at BenjaminAHR, Adam is at CutForTime, and I'm at Rob K. Schulte. You can also join in the discussion over at the Greatest Gen subreddit or the Greatest Discovery group on Facebook. We'll see you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.